All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. We're continuing our sermon series through the Gospel of Mark. Um, growing up, all throughout my life, I've had two pastors uh, in my life, two pastors. So I've uh, been to, to two churches growing up. The first pastor that I had growing up uh, is my grandpa. So from birth to about five years old, when I lived in Radcliffe, Kentucky, down at Stifton Baptist Church, grandpa was also my pastor. And then we moved uh, to northern Kentucky and went to Florence Baptist, and a guy by the name of Tim Alexander was the pastor, and he was the pastor there all the way up until college, until I actually took on a role as pastor at a small country church in Bracken County, Kentucky. The benefit of having two pastors your whole life is the faithfulness that you see in the two men of God. And Brother Tim would always say this, there's uh, three types of people when it comes to storms in your life. People that are getting ready to go in a storm, people that are in a storm, and people that have gone through a storm. And you're one of those three people. And so today, with all of the diversity in the room, with age and gender and life stage, that's going to be true of you. And the storm for some of our members will be radically different than the storm of other members. How many of you being virtual has it affected with students? A few. We're getting ready to go back on campus. But I would say a lot of people in the room, that hasn't messed with their schedule right now. And so what I'm saying is there's a lot of stuff that's going on, people going through the storm. But I want you to understand this. While there's different storms that come, there is one whose presence makes all the difference. And when he speaks, the storms calm down. And so today, my whole goal in this message, and what you see in Mark chapter 4, 35 to 41, you see a glimpse of the greatness of Jesus. You see a glimpse of His glory. You see a glimpse of His power. And so let's read the text and then we'll dive in. Mark chapter starting with verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he told them, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So they left the crowd and took him along since he was in the boat, and other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. He was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion, so they woke him up and said to him, Teacher! Don't you care that we are going to die? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Silence, be still. The wind ceased, and there was great calm. Then he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked one another, Who then is this? Even the wind and sea Obey Him. All right, let's pray. Father, I pray that with everything going on in our lives, I pray that we see the glory that belongs to Jesus. Lord, I pray that we know that He loves us, that He is good, and that He is great. So in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so they're on the Sea of Galilee. That is a picture. Go on back to the first one. That's a picture of the Sea of Galilee. It's at night. It's dark. It's a lot of water. It's over eight miles wide. 
And in the depths of it, it's 140 feet deep. So I get nervous when I go to a swimming pool and it's a 12 foot deep section. 141 feet deep. So that's rather big. The next slide, Shugs, is the boat, right? So you got a boat. I need a couple of volunteers to come on back here with me. Some of you might be thinking we were redecorating. This blue line actually has a purpose. All right, I've got two. I need at least 12. Thank you, Josh, Rick, Jeff, thank you. Come on, Evan, get in the boat. So Mark is one side of the boat. Rick can be, uh, Josh Cobbins is the end of that boat. Now, it's 27 feet long. That's what they found. And they just discovered this. Uh, I believe it was 1986. So there was uh, a drought. The water levels of the Sea of Galilee went down. And they saw this boat. And it's about right. 27 feet long, 7.5 feet wide. So basically from Becky to the wall. And you got a group of guys. How many guys we got in this boat? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Now, Jesus, what's he doing? He's laying down, sleeping. Noah, lay down for us. Thank you, Noah. Now, listen, me and Evan got some space. Coach Soley's got some space, but he's, that's not seven feet wide down there. We're a little cramped. Now, the Sea of Galilee is much larger than the Licking River. But if I have a boat this long with this crew, seven and a half feet wide, I don't like my chances getting across the Licking River. We're done. It's probably going to tip. But I want you to see this is about the size of the boat. And they probably had a few more guys. There's probably all 12 disciples in Jesus in there. And this is about it. And I want you to see that. And also, four of the guys were what? You guys can be seated. Four of the guys were what? Fishermen. Are they scared on the Sea of Galilee? No, that's where they spent their lives. And so there's something different about this storm. There's something fierce about this storm. If you can make Peter, James, John, and Andrew nervous on the sea, this was a very unusual storm. It's a very intense storm. Now, this is why that's important. The levels of storms that come in your life will vary in intensity, but they are no match for the power of Jesus. And I want you to see that. You're going to hear that again and again today. So number one, following Jesus does not equal a problem-free life. Why are they in on the lake on a boat in the first place? Did you guys catch that in the first verse? Verse 35, what did Jesus say? Let's go across the sea. He's in the boat teaching, full day of ministry. He said, hey guys, let's cross on over. We got to get some rest. We need a break from the crowds. Let's cross. And so they're crossing the sea. They're listening to the directions of Jesus. And we saw a couple weeks back, it was Jesus' invitation to follow him. It's why they're following him now. And I want you to see this. When Jesus invites you to follow, doesn't mean it's going to be a carefree, easy life. As a matter of fact, it's the exact opposite. Years ago, uh, I was trying to get in shape to go to Benin, Rick. I know we were, we were going out to what was called Chi country, right? The bush country in Africa. And I knew I needed to get in shape. And so one of my motivations for getting in shape was signing up for a Tough Mudder. Tough Mudder is 12 miles of running and 24 obstacles. I knew exactly what I was signing up for, right? I read about each obstacle. I'm like, that oh, doesn't sound too bad. doesn't sound too bad. 
This is the last thing you go through. Wires hanging down, zapping you like a bug zapper as you run through it. This you get to army crawl through. A couple of our guys on our squad got hurt at this one. Uh, we won't mention any names. This is what you start off with, the ice bath. It's a dumpster with a tarp, and they fill it with ice water. And then they put this board in the middle, so you have to go under it and back out. Yeah, this guy is about to have a heart attack. That's why he's holding his chest. I know what he's feeling. Now, I could have said, you know what? I made a mistake. I could have said this was not a good decision on my part. I could have said this is tougher than I thought. But you want to know what I could not say? This is not what I signed up for. And I want to make sure we understand when we invite people to follow Jesus, it's not your best life now. When we invite people to follow Jesus, we're saying Jesus is worth everything in your life. And wherever he leads, we are going. It's not an easy way. But in the words of Jesus, it's the only way. Romans 8.28 says this, We know that in all things God works together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. You see, this isn't an easy night for the disciples. As a matter of fact, they're scared to death. And I would say, being the fishermen that they were, they knew that they were in trouble. boat was going down. It was bad. But you know, Jesus wasn't done teaching yet. You see, Jesus was about to increase their faith. They were following Jesus, a man that they knew, and yet they had no idea. And so when you're following Jesus, understand this, it's not the easy road. That's number one. Number two, faith over fear. Faith over fear. Danny Aiken put it this way, the veteran fisherman may be terrified, but the carpenter from Nazareth sleeps soundly. Right? He understands, trusts in his father, knows his mission. Lottie Moon put it this way. Lottie Moon was a missionary, and she lived a life marked by courage, marked by boldness. And I want you to hear her words. I have a firm conviction that I am immortal till my work is done. I am immortal till my work is done. What does that mean, immortal? Yeah, you're not going to touch it. Nobody can touch it. Hey, that gave me some strong confidence getting on an airplane going through turbulence. If God is finished with me and the mission he's given me, then he'll call me home. That's a win. But if not, a little turbulence on a plane won't stop it. That's how you should live your life. No matter what comes, God is in control. And until you're finished doing what God's called you to do, you're untouchable. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. Charles Spurgeon encourages us to understand that God is too wise to err, too good to be unkind. Leave off doubting Him and begin to trust Him. For in so doing, you will put a crown on His head. You want to know what our biggest problem is? We have a small view of Jesus. We have a weak view of Jesus. And right here in this text, we catch a glimpse of the greatness of Christ. And so when Charles Spurgeon says, put a crown on Jesus' head, remember who he is. Jesus is the one 
who upholds the universe by the power of His Word, and it's not a hard thing. And that's who we worship. Understand the greatness that belongs to Jesus. Because until Jesus becomes greater than the storms you're going through, you're going to think your storms are a really big deal. And I'm not saying they won't be painful and they won't be scary. What I am saying is they're no match for Jesus. So we've got three convictions we're going to walk through quickly. Three convictions we'll walk through quickly with this faith over fear uh, point. Conviction number one, Go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. Now, I will say the disciples uh, didn't get it right when they accused Jesus of not caring. But they were right, and when they couldn't save themselves, they ran to Him. They woke Him up. When they were finally done trying to figure out if they can weather the storm and get to the side and get to the bank, they finally got to Jesus. What about you? What about you when things go wrong? Who do you go to? Who's the first person you turn to? Whose advice do you seek? Who do you turn to for comfort when things aren't going right? If it's anyone other than Jesus, you've got to change that. Go to Jesus. I got a picture of a a mailbox we had, and and some of you guys know the story. I was in high school, I was a student pastor, I had guys like Shugs and Matt and Jason, and I don't know how Shugs and Matt got out of this, but we had a church staff member say, Ben, my wife hit a mailbox, we need you to go pick it up. You got students, you're the student pastor, go get some students, Help. let's, let's try to set this up, do you mind doing that? I said no problem, because I was thinking, this is the mailbox she hit. So I picked up Jason and a couple of other guys. And we get there, and it was one like this. And no joke, 800 pounds. And I knew right then I had the wrong crew. But you know what? I said, I believe in miracles. Jason and three other guys and myself, I said, all right, we just got to be able to get it off the ground. Once we get it up a little bit, we can get our legs underneath it, and we can lift it up. We spent, no joke, a half hour trying to figure out how to do this. We, got, we went to the backyard. We got sticks and a branch trying to do a, a levee system. It didn't work. It broke. Then I, I finally, the, the thing that, that broke the camel's back was when one of the guys lifting slipped, his foot went out, and he kissed the mailbox, right? Busted up his lip. And right then I said, you know what? I'm not going to have a mom call me, ask me what in the world was I thinking. But I did know who to call. Dad was in the neighborhood cutting grass, and he had my brother with him and another guy. I said, Dad, listen, I'm in a little bit of a pickle here. I cannot get this mailbox up. I need some help. And I'm thinking, oh, we'll just hook it to the truck and we'll pull it up. He says, no problem, we'll be there. Five minutes later, he comes down the drive, and Sam, Sam's at Thomas Moore playing football. He's still lifting weights at this time. He's squatting over 500 pounds. He looks at it and says, just grab a side. And I said, Sam, I've tried to grab a side. We've all grabbed a side. He's like, just grab it. He gets to the end of that thing. I'm on one side. Dad's on one side. Some of the students are filling in. Sam starts to lift it, and that thing just pops right up. Now, I could have saved 45 minutes and a busted lip from one of my students if I would have just made the right call right off the bat. What's going to happen in your life when you're going through storms, and sometimes they catch you off guard, you're going to be trying to figure it out yourself. Well, maybe I can just find a different job. 
Maybe I can work this out. Maybe nobody has to find out about this. Maybe I can maneuver and find a new way. When the only answer is go to Jesus. So if you're going to have a big faith, conviction number one has to be go to Jesus. Conviction number two, know that Jesus cares. Know that Jesus, and and this is why Jesus rebuked the disciples at the end. But did you hear the urgency in their question? They, They say, teacher, don't you care that we are going to die? Don't you care that we are going to die? 1 Peter 5.7 says this, Casting all your anxieties or casting all of your cares on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. I look at this verse, and when I think about Jesus and taking all of my worries to Him and my concerns and the anxiety that comes just through daily life and giving to Him, I take that having four girls, I'm starting to grasp an idea here. Like if Ava's going through something, I don't want her to, try, her to try harder and figure it out and dig deeper into trouble. I want her to come to me. And I want her to know that I care for her. And we'll figure this thing out together. And you have a God that cares for you. And maybe that's where you need to zone in right now this morning. Jesus loves you more than anybody else on this planet. And His love is greater than anything this world has to offer. And so right now, with whatever's going through your mind, I want you to ask yourself this question. Do I know? Do I personally know? Am I convinced that Jesus loves me? Know that Jesus cares. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Now, how can you do that? Right? How how can I be content with what I have, not be concerned with my... This is why. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And and so the writer of Hebrews applied it to money, but you could do that with a lot. I've lost my job. I'm, I'm stressing out. There's different dynamics in my family. We've got broken relationships. What can I do? How can I, how can I keep moving forward? This is how God won't leave you and He won't forsake you. He doesn't jump out of the boat. He calms the storm. Deuteronomy 31, 6 and 8. I, I love this passage because you have Moses passing on the leadership to Joshua and they haven't made it to the promised land. And Joshua goes through a lot of stuff. It's not all victories for Joshua. And I want you to hear Moses' encouragement to Joshua. He says, be strong and courageous. You want to know where strength and courage comes from? It's not, don't get in the picture of some macho man, some Sylvester Stallone. That's not strength and courage that we're talking about. The strength and courage that we're talking about is the ability to do what God's called you to do. You want to know where strength and courage comes from? It comes from knowing that Jesus is with you. And so, be strong and courageous. Why? Don't be terrified or afraid of them. Why? For the Lord your God is the one who will go with you. He will not leave you or abandon you. And then, two verses later, Moses reminds Joshua again. The Lord is the one who will go before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or abandon you. Do not be afraid or discouraged. When you realize that Jesus is with you, you can make it through the storm. 
Matthew 28 and 20, Jesus' words to his disciples before he ascends to heaven, he says, and remember, and remember, and you want to know why he says remember? Because he's about to leave. And I bet you the disciples are a little nervous. They're tasked with taking the gospel to the nations, and it doesn't go well for the disciples from a safety point. They do an awesome job getting the gospel to the nations. You want to know how we know that? Because you and I know the gospels. But you know most of them died. They were put to death for their faith. Hung on a cross. Beheaded. Exiled to an island. But you want to know what Jesus tells them? Hey, remember, I am with you to the end of the age. Man, we need to know that. We don't have a God that is far off and indifferent to your hurt and pain. You have a God that is near. Jesus is with you, and He cares. Greatest display of God's love is where? This is an easy, easy answer. The cross. The cross. That's Romans. That's the, the gospel message. Uh, Romans talks about how God st- demonstrates His own love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. If you ever wonder if you are loved, look to the cross. That's a reminder. That's how much you are loved. The Father doesn't withhold His Son. The Son doesn't take up His own way of living. He says He lays His life down so that you and I might be saved. That's how much you are loved. Tim Keller had this to add. The storm had immense power. They couldn't control it. But Jesus had infinitely more power so they had even less control over him, but there's a huge difference. So see what he's doing. He's comparing the storm, the power in the storm, to the power of Jesus. And he said both were very powerful, but there's a huge difference. And he says a storm doesn't love you. Isn't it reassuring? Isn't there confidence in knowing you have a God that has the power to say, peace be still, and a hurricane chills out? And that God loves you so much that He was willing to die in your place. So you don't have to guess, hey Jesus, are you kind of sleeping through this one? Hey Jesus, do you see this? My life is in shambles. It's ruined. What are you doing? Do you care? You know He cares. That was conviction number two. But then finally, conviction number three. I'm going to trust Jesus. I'm going to trust Jesus. And there's two aspects of Jesus that I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust that He is good. I'm going to trust that He is great. And and that goodness is in in that point that He cares for us. We we understand that. Um, Elizabeth Elliot has this quote. And and then I'm going to explain who Elizabeth Elliot is. Some of you guys might not know who Elizabeth Elliot uh, was. But she said this, God is God, and since He is God, He is worthy of my worship and my service. I will find rest nowhere else but in His will. And that will is necessarily infinitely, immeasurably, unspeakably beyond my largest notions of what he is up to. If you're at the mercy of the storm, its power is unmanageable and it doesn't love you. The only place you're safe is in the will of God. But because he's God and you're not, the will of God is necessarily, immeasurably, unspeakably beyond your largest notions of what he is up to. Is he safe? Of course he's not safe. Who said anything about being safe? But he is good. He's the king. 
Now, I, I want you to understand where Elizabeth Elliot is saying this from. Her husband was murdered by the people he was trying to reach with the gospel. The Aka Indian tribe, um, he, he lands in a plane and him and four others, they're, they're put to death for trying to get the gospel to a people that have never heard the gospel. And then his wife writes something like this. I don't understand everything that God is doing, but he's God. His ways are above my ways. But she trusts in what? His goodness. And so she worships Jesus and does the will of the Father. Do you trust in the goodness of God? Do you believe Jesus is working for your good and His glory? So He loves you, and He's working for your good. That's got to be one of your heart convictions. And then, finally, trusting in the greatness of Jesus. And I think this is where the text emphasizes greatness. And it's hard to pick up in our English translations, but it's emphasizing great in this text. So, verse 37, a great windstorm arose, or some translations, and there was a great storm of wind. This is basically some hurricane force wind stirring up some waves. This is a big, bad, brutal storm. But that's not the only thing that was great. The calm that came after it was great. If you look at your translation, verse 39, the ESV and the KJV says, and there was great calm. The NASB says it became perfectly calm. The NIV, it was completely calm. Great violence became great calmness. After three words, Jesus spoke. Peace, be still. But that's not the only thing that was great here. Did you guys catch the third great in this passage? You got the great storm, you got the great calm, and then there was great fear. You see, the disciples were afraid of the storm, but they became terrified of Jesus. Do you guys see that? Verse 41, they were filled, filled with great fear, KJV, and they, were, they feared exceedingly. NAS, but they became very much afraid. The disciples were absolutely terrified. Great fear. Why? Because they saw the holiness of Jesus. Jesus is not like anybody else. You see both here. That Jesus is fully God and fully man. After working all day, Jesus is tired. That's why he's sleeping. But you also see that he's fully God. Because if you and I go outside, so let's say it's going to start snowing here around noon. And I say, you know what? Mr. Fight, we really need to, to get home. Can you go outside, tell the snow, chill out a little bit, stop, be dry? Now, he could do that. He could say the words, but the snow is going to do what the snow is going to do. But if Jesus says it, it stops. When you have that type of power in the boat, there is fear. I've told you about a, a coach that I had, a little bit arrogant, and, and you're going to hear uh, some quotes on here. He thought he was going to stand before the glory of Jesus and ask him some questions. The problem is whenever you see someone stand in the presence of God, they don't stay standing. They fall on their face. 
When you see the holiness and greatness and glory of God, there is no standing room. You will be filled with awe and your heart will reflex in worship. And I want you to see the power of Jesus here. So, so you have these waves coming to bury the boat and that's not the last time Jesus stops something from being buried. You see, in Acts 2.24, we read this, but God raised him from the dead, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in his power. You see, there's a storm all of us have to go through. There's waves that are coming that are going to look like they're burying us. And unless Jesus returns one day, I'll be somewhere, body buried somewhere, tombstone somewhere, but I won't be there. That's just a storm that I pass through. You want to know why? Because I know the one who calms the storm. And when my heart is raging, he can speak, peace, be still. And his words are true and they are powerful. I want to read you one final quote. And this will be it. It's a little bit longer, so bear with me. All right? We meet all kinds. This is from R.C. Sproul. He's an old school preacher. We meet all kinds of people, and we meet, when we meet them, we unconsciously sort them. Is that person smiling? Is that person nice? Is that person mean? Is he safe? We separate everyone into categories. Safe, dangerous, nice, cantankerous, whatever. But we do not have a category for someone who can speak to the waves and cause them to obey him. In a word, what the disciples experienced on the Sea of Galilee that night was the holiness of Christ. They liked his power when they were in trouble, so they were quick to wake him when the boat seemed endangered. But when he showed them his power, they said, This is not a common power. This is a holy power. This man is different from every other person on the face of the earth. And finding themselves in the presence of the Holy One, they were consumed by fear. If Jesus were to knock on your door this morning, you would not say to Him, Hi, buddy, come on in. Rather, you would fall on your face when the resurrected Christ in His glory, the manifestation of His holiness appears, all creatures will fall, on his feet, or fall at His feet because He is other. He is holy. That means that not only do people tremble at his voice, but seas that have no ears listen to his command and winds that have no knowledge know enough to stop blowing when he says, be still. That is our Lord. That's the greatness of our Savior. So maybe you haven't made those convictions. And you need to do that today. Do you have those three convictions? Do you go to Jesus? Maybe you're going through something right now and you haven't taken it to Him. You need to do that right now. Do you know that Jesus is concerned for you? More than that, that Jesus loves you. And then, are you willing to trust Jesus? That's what this passage was all about. And here's the good news. The one who has a track record of calming storms will one day return and calm all storms for all eternity. That's the Lord we worship. Amen.
Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for gathering us here this morning. Lord, there's so much going on. So Lord, I pray that we keep our eyes on you. Help us catch a glimpse of your greatness. Help us stand in awe of who you are and what you have done. Father, I pray for everyone in the room and for those that aren't with us this morning. Father, I pray for the students in Covington Independent Schools that are going back to school this week. Father, I pray for staff and students who know you and love you. I pray that they're lights in dark places, that they show off the glory that belongs to Christ. Father, I pray for our neighbors. I pray that you give us an urgency to reach people with the gospel. And Father, I pray for members that are going through the storm right now, that they know that you're with them. I pray that you calm the storms, show them how much you love them, and that they trust in who you are. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.